You're listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast, where we teach you to stay away from those who say things like this. The first point that we talk to you about being empowered to lead uh, is this, this idea. I want you to know that first, number one, you were born to lead. So you're like, I, I don't see myself as a corporate CEO. I don't see myself as, a, as necessarily an entrepreneur. Some, you do see yourself as that, and you feel like you're trapped in a dead-end role, in a dead-end job. And that you feel that there's more. I, I believe God's going to speak to you and give you visions. He's going to give you dreams about what's next. And then he's going to show you how to gain wisdom as you prepare to move into that. And those who say this. Baptism is intended to be a symbol that symbolizes death into life. It's like a burial followed by a birth. Right. Or this. And the Bible says when Jesus held up that bread... On that night with his disciples, he just simply said, this would symbolize my body. As well as those who've never studied Greek, but want you to believe they have. God's plan is for you and I, his people, to live and walk in power. Now this word power is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis, it's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive. It's time now to join your hosts pastors Devin Kearns and John Bruss and whoever else they invite as they continue their quest to train you in properly dividing law and gospel and staying away from the sacramentarians. Well, all right, you're listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast. I am Pastor Kearns and I have sacrificed. I have come all the way down to Wichita, Kansas to be with my good friends, Pastor Boyle and Pastor Lovett. Pastor Lovett is not here yet, but he might be. So we'll, you know, we'll we'll uh, move over and let him squeeze in. Uh, But it doesn't matter. Pastor Boyle is here and I'm delighted to be with you. It's a joy. Let us know what's happening with you. Well, right now we are in the midst of Lent, obviously, trying to get through and reach this great joy of Easter. In the midst of all of that, my family and I are trying to find a way to get ourselves to Fort Wayne, Indiana, where it looks like I will be serving as a professor there at the seminary. That is absolutely incredible. The LCMS has two seminaries, of course, one in St. Louis and the other in Fort Wayne. And what are you going to be teaching? I mean, I realize you've got a a lot on your docket, but what will you be referred to as? Well, the, the call will be to the pastoral ministry and mission department, and so it will be largely teaching catechetics, homiletics, some pastoral theology perhaps, and so our listeners have a great treat in that they get to hear from you. I mean, this is wonderful. It is. Hopefully. Well, I don't know if you're going to think that this is wonderful at all. Because the sermon that we're going to listen to, I've listened to it several times. And I think that this pastor brings up a good point, but he can't answer it. He is actually identifying something in the Christian life that we all face. But sadly, he does not solve the dilemma. And I would say... You're going to have to be patient here, Pastor, because it takes a long time to actually get around the bases, if you know what I mean. You know, we've done this now. I think this is the third time yeah. you've invited yeah. me onto this hairy yeah. chicken. Yeah. Hey, hey, pluck, hey. Pluck chicken yeah. podcast. Yeah. And I have been very annoyed two out of the three so far 
we'll see if it's three for three. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be. All right, so we'll get right into it, all right? My goodness. Anybody else out there need the Lord today? I don't know about you with what's going on in the world today. I need the Lord. I need God right now. I need him in my life. And I'm so glad that you're here today. We're so excited about um, what God's going to do in your life. I say this all the time, but we don't want just people just to show up. We want God to sh- God to show up in our hearts. And so what I say a lot is is we're not just going through the motions, but God has something for you today. And do you believe that? He's got something for you today. Listen, (laughs) you you came, you came. It's a lot of effort uh, to get here, to get your kids here. They're all looking amazing, but you're in the house. Might as well open up your heart and have God do something good. Amen. 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 Why don't you high five somebody one more time and you can take your high five. Oh, isn't that funny? We are going to have a great, great time today. And I just want to let you know, Hannah is actually um, preaching at a church in Chicago this morning. And so the Olets are just, uh, I guess we're just preaching today. Um, so. so Olet is their last name. And I do have to say about this pastor, there is always a reference to his wife in the sermon. Numerous, actually. We'll, we'll hear about Hannah uh, a little bit later on. But he is always dropping her name and some story about her. And on many occasions, she actually preaches, sometimes with him and sometimes without him. She's got more chops than he does, but it doesn't matter. She is very central to this uh, pulpit ministry that they got going on at this church. Well, that's, I think that's true everywhere. Everyone likes our wives better than us. Well, uh, how many times I've I've reviewed many sermons of yours. I've never I don't even know your wife's name. No, it's I do know her name, but it's because we've had because your wife knows my wife. Yes, uh, but it's never come through in the sermons. No, no. I don't even know your kids' names. You right. never mention them. Right. I, I shouldn't say never, but uh, in the sermons, yeah, never in the sermons. Mm-hmm. You know there was. Uh, thinking of the seminary and teaching and homiletics and all of that, one of one of my favorite lines from Dr. Fikincher was, when it comes to your family in the pulpit, never, 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 no, not ever, no, not even once, do you mention your family unless it is glowing. Wow. And I think that was quite good advice as far as that goes because it's, easy to make recourse to your family, especially all of their faults and failures, and use them as the object lessons. And, and so there is something about always presenting them beautifully. On the other hand, it's also not about them, though it is for them. That's her just, uh, I, I guess we're just preaching today. Um, so she's at a great church in Chicago. Um, one of our overseers here at Thrive um, pastors a, a wonderful church there. So she's there, and then tonight is a, a girls' event in Chicago, so um, my daughter's there with a friend, and, and so they're going to go to that as well, just praying that God just encounters my daughter as well. So um, I, w- I, want, I want God to, to meet with me, but I want God to meet with my kids as well. I pray that that happens here this morning for you guys. And um, so just wanted to let you know, uh, also, oh my goodness, the Flourish Conference tickets just went on sale. Come on, somebody. There's always this commercializing at the beginning of most evangelical sermons. I mean, you got to keep, you know, got to keep the uh, momentum high and here's what's going on and 
selling it and cheerleading. This is this always happens. And especially when I get together with you or anybody, um, uh, when we really want to get to the meat of what they're talking about, I always think about wanting to fast forward through this garbage. And sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just make you sit and listen to it. Um, one other thing before we get into the message, and that is um, on March 27th, in two weeks, we are going to have our rooted two-year anniversary celebration. And I can't believe that uh, it's, it's been two years. I was just hearing um, on the news, they were talking about, it's been like two years since You know, we make announcements too. Pandemic. You I'm do, like, yeah, we do. Two years since we They're in the bulletin printed? And, and They're in the so bulletin printed. Like, <laughs> I stand up, I make some announcements. It takes, uh, I don't know, a minute and a half. And then we begin the service. Oh, okay. Um, take up an offering that day really with two goals and that is it's all going to rooted and um, we have around 50,000 left to um, pay off by April 12th and so it comes at St. John's we make announcements too but it's before the, the bell rings yes. and before the confession and absolution so yeah. because during the service the focus is the service Yes. And the second thing not is, any of this is, uh, cheerleading no. an opportunity for those of you but what do we know we're just a bunch so of washed up Lutheran pastors I mean for crying out loud you're, I mean you're going to the sim you're not even a pastor anymore you know <laughs> hey I'm not dead yet for is really just the whole church of thrive to come together and really their church is named thrive yeah foundation yeah decades to come so we're so can't you feel it I mean they're they're thriving. Questions, I'm sure. Um, we'll talk a little bit more on the 27th, but we're so thrilled. They're thrilled um, at all God's and thriving. They're excited. Also. Oh, absolutely! Unbelievable, total miraculous situation to be so aggressive with the gospel. And um, some churches may be strapped with big building expenses, but as we complete rooted, it's going to be the complete opposite with Thrive, and um, we're going to just have um, money, a lot more money than normal to pour into ministry and reaching your kids and teenagers and marriages here at Thrive Church. That's worth clapping about. So um, we'll be talking about that. That's he has to get everybody to, so to clap there. The All right, they're going to pray. Here we go, finally. Just open up our hearts here today for what you want to do, for what you want to say. And uh, Lord, we just, we, just, uh, we just want you to do what only you can do. And there's a lot of things that we try to do in our human effort, but God, I ask you to show up in a powerful way, do something amazing in our hearts and our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Well, we talked about... What'd you think of that, that, that Can prayer? Can we get to the thing? I mean, this is such a mess. What? We, what? we just, we just, we just, uh, you know, get out of the way. Let's, let's let our Lord speak. Maybe, maybe there will be some scripture along the way. Maybe he'll give some insight along the way, but this is a mess. You're so harsh. I am. Amen. Amen. Well, we talked about today, um, we were going to talk about this idea of the highest calling as a Christian. Now, that's not the title. I got a different title. I saw you guys about to write this down. Uh, I faked you out. Okay. So um, th it's going to lead to the title. But when I think about what is the highest calling of a Christian, um, some of us in the room could think the highest calling as a Christian could be maybe to accomplish great things. 
and uh, maybe think, man, I want to accomplish great things. God's given me one life. I got to accomplish great things in my life. That's how I can think. I can think that way. Um, it's just, I'm wired that way. Like, uh, we got one life. Let's go. Let's, let's do this. And I can think that at times. Um, sometimes we could think maybe having a great family is the highest calling as a Christian. I want a great, and by the way, I want a great family, but that's, that's not it either. Or um, maybe sometimes we think, well, maybe if we win a lot of people to Jesus and the great commission to go into all the world, this is almost like a trick answer because that's way up there. But there's actually still something even higher than that and more important than that. What is the highest calling as a Christian? What do you think the highest calling of the Christian is, Pastor Boyle? I think it includes the ascension to the right hand of the Father to behold his face, Mm. to be in Christ with the Spirit. Outside of that... The Christian's callings are various. And as Christian, we are within our family, and it would be wonderful to have a, a blessed marriage, faithful children. That would be pure joy. What if you don't have that? To have our sins forgiven and to stand before the Father is our, is our hope. He, he is where we are going to behold his face. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about it, but the way it starts to describe um, this thing that is the highest calling of a Christian, it says that if you essentially have all this stuff in the world but don't have this, you're still going to miss it. It says, this, it says it this way. If you could speak every language. By the way, I looked it up. There's a lot of languages on earth. I'm like, how many countries are there? You know, What's going on? Um, the trusty Google says there are over 7,000 languages on earth. So, so basically, if you could speak, and I, I thought like bilingual was good, trilingual. I hear some people can speak a lot of languages. Um, what about 7,000 languages? Even if you could speak 7,000 languages but didn't have this one thing, then we're, we're going we're gonna to get into it. Okay, so or you had the gift of prophecy. And you, you could literally see what God saw. Or if you had faith that could move mountains, you, you did great things for God. So you're smart. You saw what God saw. You did great things for God. If I gave everything to the poor, means you're generous. And if, even if you wrote a check to pay off all of this rooted thing and you didn't have this, you'd still be missing out. And this is what it says. So it says if, if you were smart, you saw what God saw, did great things, and you were generous, but you didn't love others, it says, I, I would have gained nothing. I would have gained nothing. It's this idea of love, but Jesus gives more context. In Matthew 22, 20, uh, 22 somebody asks Jesus, hey, what's the most important thing? Basically saying, what's the highest call as a believer? What is it? And Jesus replies, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. This is the greatest and this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. And we've spent um, quite a bit of time lately talking about loving others. In fact, the whole series we just did was really about that. And then previous to that, we talked about your one life and breakthrough and creating a movement all the way back in August. And so um, the highest calling as a Christian is to love God with all, but it's the all 
that sometimes is difficult. Like if I said, hey, do you love God? The answer would most likely be in this room, you came to church, those of you watching online, you'd probably say, yeah, I love God. And I think, but, I, but I think the thing that can trip us up in this section is the idea to love God with all. Now, I love how these guys, I've listened to so many sermons where they always talk about doctrine, but they always couch it in this, it's an idea. He said it several times even here. It's this idea that, I just think it weakens it. But let's not even worry about that just yet. This is the problem that he touches upon. And I, I understand this. I mean, I, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church where we sang a beloved hymn that said, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. And I would always think when I'm singing that song, no, no, I don't. There's a good part of me I think that does, but there's still plenty that I don't. Do, do they still sing, you are my all in all? Oh, yeah, that's a good, of course. I mean, that's where you really sway back and forth and really sing to your, uh, you know, Jesus as your boyfriend. I mean, this is a... That's a beloved, beloved uh, uh, praise song. So that's, that's another one where he is my all in all. And yet we're still lacking. We're still wanting. We're still coveting what others have. We're still finding that I'm, I'm not quite sufficient until I can get to this stage or this point in my life or accomplish this thing or, as he just said, start this movement or whatever it is. There is a lack of contentment, a lack of satisfaction, a lack of finding Truly, Christ as our all, and loving him then with all that we have. So, if the highest calling, as he's speaking of it here, is more, what is our highest duty? What is our highest task? Our, our, as Christians, how are we to be? We are to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind, all of our power, and our neighbor as ourself. And absolutely, that, that is the highest what happens then when you don't reach that? Right. That's the issue. What happens when you don't reach that? What I'm suggesting is that based upon what he says, this is a very damning, damning sermon. My guess is he is going to have us in some way, in some language that he'll use, reach inside of ourselves to open up even more. Bile has just, uh, <laughs> I, I, I taste bile uh, right now. You got to look deep with it. Oh, gosh. Open up your heart, oh, your will. That's disgusting. Your pocketbook to pay off our debt so that <laughs> right. we can celebrate our two-year anniversary. And- <laughs> I, I, I love God with all. I think that's the part that we can get stumped on, tripped up on. It's a, it's a little bit difficult, this all component and one thing that we have is this leadership value at Thrive, and it, it, it says this, we celebrate all in. We wholeheartedly pursue God and serve him with all we have. It's this idea, it's this all idea. We want to celebrate not just the fact that you, you know, come to church and check a religious box. We want to push each other to love God with all. I actually feel that's when Christianity makes sense. And I could go on to a whole other sermon that I don't, I, I'm not planning on preaching right now, 
Um, but the whole idea, if you follow God at a distance, you're going to be outside of the place where you, where you can hear his voice. If you were following somebody and um, we were going on a hike and, and I got too far um, behind you and you're carrying on a conversation, I wouldn't be able to hear what you're saying anymore. It's when you follow God closely that I, I think um, this whole relationship with God just comes alive. That's why I'm saying you've got to follow God all in. And when you do, it will finally make sense. Some people will be like, I've been in church for 10 years and I still, there's still, I don't, I don't know what all, all this is about. It's because you haven't gone all in yet. He's, he's not wrong. We haven't gone all in yet. Right. But he's suggesting that he is all in mm-hmm. and everybody else needs to be all in with him. Well, he's the leader. He's the one that has the vision. He's the one leading, guiding our way. And if we just followed him, we'd be okay. And when you go all in, God comes alive in your life. I'm with- See, when you go all in, God comes alive in your life. If God is not alive in your life, it's because you haven't gone all in. This is condemning everybody in that room and everybody who listens to this sermon. So God is sitting up there in heaven, just waiting. Oh, just waiting for oh. all of us to go right, all in. right. And and, and it, the guys who are at eighty percent or seventy percent, or you know, even the low lifes like me who are like at thirty five percent, man, I just really would love to come alive in their life, but I can't because Kearns at all are not all in. I, I don't want a God like that. Amen. I, I want a God that will come in when I'm not in at all. God comes alive in your life. I went to church for the first like 15 years of my life. Um, I pretty much grew up going to church and uh, they had donuts at my church and that's why sometimes we have donuts here. And, and um, sometimes people are like, why don't we have donuts every single week? And that's what I would have said when I was a kid, but we got other things we wanna give you as well. Hey, listen, we love donuts, but um, we love other things as well. But I, I, I grew up going to church but it was it was this um, it wasn't until I went all in that I really came alive to Jesus. See, if someone had gone follow all me in, I'm the leader. Follow me with with their do- donut donation. They would have donuts every week. You just you got to go all in. And there's an exclusive nature to what God is calling us to. I love this quote by A. W. Tozer. It says this, Father. This is him writing this, and I just love this. Father, I want to know thee, but my cowardly heart fears to give up its toys. I come trembling, but I do come. I just love the honesty there. I come trembling, but I do come. Watch this. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished, cherished so long, which have become a part of my living self, so thou mayest enter and dwell there. Now, this is the phrase that just really has just clung to my heart. Watch this. Um, and that thou mayest enter and dwell there without a rival. Without a rival. Somebody say, without rival. That is the title of the message for all you note takers. Finally, it's here. Without rival. Rival means competing or fighting against the same area for the same things. And I want you to know that there is a rivalry for your heart. There is an enemy that has declared war on your heart, and he's trying to pull you away from loving God with all. I don't disagree with him there. No, he's right. 
what is our rival? It's the world, it's our flesh, and it is the devil. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. But for some reason, he's going to spend like the next 10 minutes talking about rivalry. Let's let's skip that. I want him to get to the point. <laughs> get to the point. No, I, I want to inflict the pain even further on you. In fact, I think that the enemy is content with a bunch of Christians just kind of... Uh, just following God at a distance, this form of Christianity, but, but they lack the power of God. Hello, somebody. It, it's, and so, so what, what God is calling us to is he's calling us to this, this uh, without rival. And the enemy's trying to fight us. He's trying to, he's, 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 got this rival, he's got this rivalry going with our relationship with God. So this idea of without rival is key. I, I don't know about you. If you grew up, how many, how many people grew up um, playing sports? Anybody out there? Any sports people? Okay. Well, even if you didn't play sports, you went to a school. That- how about I meet you halfway? We'll just speed him up. How's that? You gonna do that? <laughs> Who's not, have you ever heard of this sports thing? You ever play it? Sports? Sports ball? Sure. You know, at least at least Tozer, by the way, still lived at a time where there was a thing called repentance and faith. Right. And what about the man that says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. That, that's where we are, and that's where he meets us. That was a rival, most likely, of another school. And so I, uh, I had a rivalry. Um, I went to Fenton High School in, in Michigan. Hey, and I know Fenton the rival High School. For Fenton was this um, school called Holly, and our worship leader and creative director went to Holly. And so they went to Holly, and I went to Fenton. And so we, we like had this rivalry. And you know what's funny is like you, you just kind of grow up knowing you have to hate your rival, and you hate him. And you hate, you hate him, and we hated Holly, and um, we, we hated him. And I, I remember um, I actually, um, for like two years, actually went to Holly. I think it was like um, sixth and seventh grade. So I actually got to know some of these people I was supposed to hate. And then I went back to Fenton, and I'm supposed to hate him, but I kind of know him. And that was a whole different thing. It's kind of messed me up. But, but anyways, Holly was the rival. And I can remember um, times um, that Holly, we think it was Holly, because who else would it be? But they came over to our football field and burned a letter into our field. You come to my house and messing with my field I don't like you. you. You understand what I'm saying? There's a rivalry going on. You just be like, where are you from? You, you can meet somebody. You can meet a cute girl. And you'd be like, where are you from, Holly? Get out of here. I don't even like you. You could be from anywhere but there. Sorry, Jamie. Uh, I'm just playing. Um, so, but there's a rivalry. And, and, and there's, there's this rivalry. And, and here's what I know about rivals. Rivals will taunt you. And today I want to talk about defeating the rival of your relationship with God because God wants this all in faith, this all in love. But there's an enemy that's created a rivalry that's trying to pull you away from the love of God, trying to have you follow God at a distance, have you pull back just a little bit. And so we're going to dive into this scripture. Let me read it again. And Jesus- all right, so we'll slow him back down. That, that was the, you know, we've, we've got to talk about the rivalry between the schools hey, as know, if the people yeah. don't understand what a rival is. And, and I know Holly and, and Fenton. That's, this is great. Where's this guy serving? Where's Thrive? I, I think they're thriving in Colorado somewhere. Oh. What, these are, these are rivals uh, with you? Well, no. Oh. I mean, he should have stayed in Michigan at least. Okay. That would, been, that would have been better. Okay. All right. Here he goes. Sure. Let me read it again. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. So we're talking about without rival. We're talking about defeating your rival. And number one, I want to say it this way, is you have to give him access to it all. 
You know, when I read this, I mean, when I read this passage right here, verse 37, there, you could focus on um, your heart, your soul, your mind. You could focus on that. You could preach a message on those three points right there. But this idea of all, I think that we have to give God access to it all. I remember when I was 15 and I started to give God full access to my heart, but it took a little while for God to really gain more and more access of my heart. And it's really been a lifelong pursuit to give him more and more access of my heart. But I remember giving my life to the Lord and there was areas of, of my life where I, I wasn't, it was almost like I was wrestling with him to turn over this, these areas of my life. And I can remember um, one area of my life when I was, I, th I think I was 16 years old and um, my first car was a Chevy Camaro. And so I'm 16 years old. I'm already an adrenaline junkie. And um, I remember it was my mom's friend who sold me a car. I remember she sold it to me for such a good deal. I already had all the money to buy the car. I worked for my dad and my parents were like, no, I'm just going to turn him down here for a little bit. This is so crazy to me in that we have to put in these, these little narratives, these little stories. They're hooks, hooks all along. Right. These hooks to somehow or another explain the text. I just hope they're hooks into something. But but it seems that all he's doing is trying to, uh, I mean, thinking historically, he's trying to establish his his own ethos. Who right. who is he? Right. He's talking about a time when he you know was sixteen. He had this Camaro, and he was wrestling with giving giving his all. They're hooks into soft butter. That's what they are. I'm just like. I mean, I mean, I'm just like holding this thing literally as fast as I can. I have no idea what the neighbors are thinking, but um, this is me. And, um, and I'm, I'm driving this thing. And, and, and if you've been to the Thrive for a long period of time, you may, you may know that on the back of this, this bumper sticker of this car was the reflection tape that I put. I, was, I, I, I became a Jesus freak. And so I wanted to put like um, a sticker that represented Jesus, but I thought the little stickers weren't, weren't good enough. And so I got reflection tape and we cut the, 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 the words, you need Jesus. And so at night when people would light the car up behind me, they would get blinded <laughs> with you need Jesus. All right. So he's going to keep going on here. What he's saying is, is that when in high school, he got serious about the Lord, but yet there were still things that he didn't give his all to. Because he would still drive fast and, and get speeding tickets. Mm -hmm. And so I would drive, I would drive crazy. They've already places. heard this story too. If they've been there a long time, meaning sometime in the last year and a half. Well, okay, that's a great point. There's only so many really good stories that you and I have. Right. And we have to be very careful in not repeating these stories. Yeah, especially, he's, he's got to be what, 30? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's in his mid-30s. Yeah. Jesus with you in the car. So he heard a pastor thought, say this. No, I don't. He's when on the I back drive, bumper. He's right. Best in the trunk. So he's not. He's not giving like his best. all. When I drive, he's he's in the trunk at best. I do not. I do not drive with Jesus. In, and I'm like a Jesus freak wearing Christian T-shirts. I would like, you know, try to wear these. And, and they weren't even subtle Christian T-shirts. Like, you know, God loves you. I remember getting a t-shirt that was a scene of hell and there were hands reaching out from the flames. <laughs> this is true. 
And on the back of the... <laughs> and on the back of the shirt, it said, um, receive ye the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Those are my Pentecostal roots. I totally so, do not understand that. But I get it. I mean, I had a, I had a bevy of Christian t-shirts as well. Right? You, you, you were all evangelical in college. I'm sure you had your, uh, your, your Christian t-shirts. Oh, yeah. I love Jesus. I'm wearing... I'm wearing t-shirts in high school telling people pretty much they're going to hell unless they receive Jesus. And, uh, but, but I don't take Jesus with me in the car. And, and I remember it was that moment where I was like, okay, God, you, I want you in the car. And, and I literally went from that moment getting speeding tickets relentlessly until they almost really literally almost got enough points for them to take my license to, I think I've only gotten one speeding ticket since maybe in the last many, many, many years. And it was actually, I think, here going down Quebec in between, I think it's like Arapahoe and like County Line, Dry Creek. That is a speed trap, y'all. I just saying, don't care. <laughs> but that was a long time ago. Okay, moving on. Um, He's moving but, on. But what He's moving happens on. Is, is it's like we, we, we say, God, we want to follow you. We want to honor you. But what we do is we compartmentalize Jesus. And, um, and I, I almost wonder if people were to look at your life, I wonder where they would find Jesus in your life. Because when we compartmentalize Jesus, we minimize, we, we minimize Jesus. And this idea of compartmentalizing Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to say that this bookshelf right here represents, represents your life. You got different things on this shelf. All right. So he's got some, uh, you know, visual aid up there on the, mm -hmm on the stage now and uh he's going to go on and on about it here but the point is going back to it in all truthfulness he really is putting his finger on a problem with his life and let's just say his constituents his congregation and what jesus says i mean this is kind of like mm -hmm. the hard sayings of jesus yeah. i get it but there's no comfort here at all there's no gospel here at all. It's just law. And, mm -hmm. and we've not even gotten to it yet, but I mean, this is the case that he's building. So if we don't get to it, is he simply laying it out? You've got to give God your all. There are all these things that we want to give him. We may not be aware of all of the areas that our all is required. And yet the more we find them, we repent, we confess them, and we seek him in all of these areas. But you say he doesn't ever get to the gospel of where Christ actually gives his all to us. And see, that is the comfort. That is the comfort that all of our hearers need to hear, that Christ is the one who does this all for us. That is the beautiful part of the gospel, mm -hmm. that Jesus is the one who loves God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thus he provides that for us. Because he loves also you, his neighbor. Amen. As himself. And see, why is that so hard to come to? Why is that truth, what you just said, why is that so difficult to come to, and instead we beat everybody on the head. And now, granted, I mean, this is an affable guy. This is, you know, we could easily find harsher people who beat their congregation. 
But why is that such a difficult thing to come to in the Christian world? Well, it's outside of us. It must be received. It must be heard. And it must then, by the Spirit taking that word and implanting within us this faith to receive it. But if you're only looking inside yourself, you will never get there. Amen. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And all of we're hearing is stories about my Camaro when I was 16 years of age. And then hearing of his coming over that. And the only way he even came up to recognize his whole Camaro bit is from a pastor saying to him, coming from the outside, and again, bringing a word of conviction. Beautiful. Represents your life. You got different things on this shelf right here and um, all kinds of different things. This maybe would represent recreation. When I was a youth pastor, we would do all kinds of things to um, reach teenagers. And we brought in an NFL quarterback um, who's actually... Um, played for the Lions. John Kitna was his name, and that's his signature right there. And so, but this maybe represents recreation. This is our family. I think this was in Florida this past summer. Um, some some work stuff here. And, and but if you look at if you look at this, you might say, okay, but where is where is Jesus on your in your life? Where is Jesus here? Where does where is Jesus? in your life. And what a lot of times we do is we compartmentalize Jesus. We're like, we're all for you. We're going to follow you. We're going to live for you. We're going to do what you want. And then in certain areas of our life, it's almost like we box Jesus up and throw him in the trunk. And in this representation, where is Jesus? Well, he's actually on the bottom shelf in a box. We put Jesus in a box. And so and so a lot of times we, we kind of have Jesus, not only, not only is he, he may be on the shelf, but he's in a box on the bottom shelf. And we compartmentalize Jesus and we say, okay, Jesus, you're, you're, you're on the bottom. And so here we have, we have uh, Jesus represented right here. And so, but we have, we, have him on, we have him on the bottom shelf. Isn't this the human dilemma? <laughs> I mean, it's poor miserable sinners. Far more interesting than this sermon is uh, what we just read and discussed at our theological reading group earlier this week, which is St. Anselm's Why God Became Man. And in it, he, he also will, in a far more profound way than this, bring us to total despair by saying things like even a, a glance away from our Lord is such a sin of magnitude that there is no way for us to make up for it. There's no way by which whatever obedience we may offer, we can somehow undo that sideways glance from his will. You mean to check your phone? Any, any, be distracted in any way whatsoever? Exactly. exactly. And and when we're left in that despair, because I think what he's doing is actually minimizing the sin, as opposed to seeking all, all, all these ways where, where there's no way we can reach God with our all, he's, he's actually inviting us to reach inside and to do more, find more ways, and, and all that we'll end up doing is revealing more and more ways in which he is not my all, and no matter how hard I try, I can never give it. Okay, you saying that reminds me of Martha and Mary. 
Martha, who is very busy about taking care of the Lord and all of his needs and the needs of his disciples and what have you, and Mary, who sits at the feet of Jesus, listening intently at his teaching. Yes. And in that, what does our Lord say of Mary to Martha? She has chosen the better portion. So I would love for him to get to some point where we could sit at the feet of Jesus. We have them on the bottom shelf. We heard there's, that There's five some times. Bibles that maybe represent Jesus as well. But again, where are they? They're, they're kind of boxed up. They're, they're tucked away. They're, they're placed where nobody can really see them. It's like some people could meet us, they could interact with us, and they don't really even know what's most important to us because we've compartmentalized Jesus. We got him, but he's in the box on the bottom shelf. He's not on the top shelf, he's on the bottom shelf. And so here we have, we have Jesus right here. And again, when we compartmentalize him, we minimize him. And I wanna ask this question, it's similar to what my father-in-law said, but where in your life do you tend to lock Jesus out? So for me, that was one example was my car but we could go through all kinds of other examples. But, but in your life, where are you locking Jesus out? For some people, it could be that we lock him out of our work. And it's almost like we don't want to be known as a, you know, we don't want to be known as a, a, like a Christian at work. Like we got to keep that separate. We got to keep it boxed up. We got to keep it boxed up and on the bottom shelf. Like we can't let people know that we're a Christian. And do you, see, do you see how we compartmentalize Jesus? But when we read this Matthew 22, verse 37, and says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, you see the inconsistency when we put Jesus in the box and put him on the bottom shelf. When we go to work, are we loving God with all at work, yes or no? What about with your friends? There could be certain friends that we lock Jesus in a box. It could be with our family that we lock Jesus in a box. It could be on our phones that we're like, God, we love you. We come to church. We love you. We're all yours, except the phone is a place we say, this is not a place where I'm going to honor you. Do you, do you is, is this getting too real? Should I back up? Y'all are like staring at me way too intensely right now. You know, he's, he's describing what sinners do. That's, that's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, and he's, he's doing a self-examination, which is good. It's an examination of one's conscience. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? And then in each of these vocations, have you failed to keep the law? Yes! In any of these? Yes! That's the answer. The answer is yes. So the, the things that you see and you hear is like a window that goes straight into your soul. And so I'm going to go a little old school, but it does matter the things that you look at and the things you listen to. I remember growing up at youth group and they'd be like, you got to be careful the music you listen to and that kind of thing. And sometimes we think, well, when we just get older, we're so mature, it doesn't matter what we watch anymore. It doesn't matter what we listen to anymore. Well, I, I just want to say, if that's what you think, there's a good chance, let me say this lovingly as your pastor, okay? Um, 
there's a good chance you put Jesus in a box and you got him on the bottom shelf in that area of your life. And what I want to do is in my life, I want to find ways to continue to give him more and more and more and more of my life. See, if we're going to defeat the rival that's trying to pull us away from loving God with all, then we've got to invite God into every single area. And when, when God shows up and you realize, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm carrying God with me in my car, or I don't think I'm carrying God with me in my phone, or the things I watch, or the things I listen to, or the things that I say, or the things around these certain people, then what we need to do is we need to invite God into those areas. This simply comes back to a very different theology than we would share. God is inactive apart from our invitation and our will, our hearts opening up from us inside. So again, look down deep inside of you to find out the areas where you can open up to God. As opposed to where the gospel would bring us is, how is it that God enters in, turns your heart of stone into a heart of flesh? How does God penetrate by his spirit through his word into your life and all of its areas? And as he does, gives life. You know, this reminds me of a text that you just preached here recently, uh, and I did too, uh, when it talks about how Jesus enters into the strong man's house. Where he must first bind the strong man. But he's not intimidated at all by the strong man. He doesn't wait for the strong man to go to sleep or any of that. He, he really does swat him. I mean, he, he barges in unannounced and does what only he can do. And again, to your point, this guy is making it out like, I've got to prepare, I've got to examine, I've got to look in every cranny and crevice of my life to determine where I'm not giving my all to Jesus. Jesus doesn't need you to do that. No. There is, again, something very good about a self-examination and to, to know where my sin is, what it is, to confess it. But then it's not even by my confession that he comes. We confess because he does come, has come, and will come again. But isn't this in the Lutheran confessions where no man can actually, uh, even when he comes to uh, private confession and absolution, no man can, can say every one of his sins, only those sins that he feels and knows in his own heart. No, no one can number all of his sins because all of the sins are not only thoughts, but subconscious thoughts, my very being, being apart from him. And yet, at the same time, we, we do so. We examine ourselves for the sake of, again, finding more and more of what he has absolved. Um, the last, I want to say, about six weeks, there was something um, that's been stressing me out. Anybody Anybody have anything that stresses them out? This is yet another story that he's he's gonna give. I, I I just I find it so amazing how these evangelical pastors will always point to themselves as being the one to follow. So whatever's stressing them out, what's stressing me out is that 
We haven't heard anything of substance yet. I talked to Hannah, I want to say, eight days ago about this, and I just, I was honest with her. I said, Hannah, there's something going on. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. By the way, I think I said this earlier. Hannah always, always makes it in to the sermon. Well, I want to say to him, do not be anxious about your life. And I knew that even in this area of stress and anxiety, sometimes we can kind of like put Jesus in a box even when it comes to our stress and our anxiety. And, and I knew that I, I wasn't giving God access to my anxiety. I now, thought he had is, already given good. God his all. I hope you grab this. You I mean back when he was 16? Yeah. Well, he's a backslider. Bible, but this is my cross to bear, if you will. Now I'm getting like all Christianese right now. You're a preacher. Jesus <laughs> wants that from you. And I know that. He knows it. I know that. I know that. I know that he wants those things. And I remember one week ago, I was standing right there and it was during worship. And um, as a pastor, when you're about to speak, it takes a lot of discipline to worship turn off everything you, you need to keep your mind on and just focus on worshiping the Lord. But it was one of those moments where I was like, I need Jesus in this area. And I just, during worship, began to cry out to the Lord and I just began to hand him my stress and my anxiety. And I wanna tell you for, seriously, four to six weeks, somewhere in that range, I, every single moment was, had anxiety nonstop. And last week, in one moment, God took it right there during worship. Well, the, at, and, at least and he got the subject verb right. Worship, God listen, took it. Amen. Because when you worship, when we have worship up here, some of you guys are like, okay, um, I haven't come to a church that worships like this. And I, well, what is worship? Every church worships like that. Going on. <laughs> Every one of his churches that is. For you to invite God in your situation and say, God, I need you. I need you to show up in this situation. I need you to, I need you to come through in this area of my life. And so when you worship, when I worship, I want, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing business with God. I'm saying, God, I need you in this area of my life. God, I worship you. I place you above. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm coming after the Lord when I worship. And when you worship, I just want to say what you're doing is you're inviting God into those areas and you're giving God your burdens. You're giving him your burdens. You're surrendering your life. If you ever see people lift their hands, you're like, why are they doing that? Anybody ever wondered that? Anybody ever wonder like why they're doing that? Um, it's really a place of surrender. God, I just give you my life. No, it's a learned behavior. Exactly. Sometimes uh, even the posture of the position of my hands. Now, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But, but, but when, I'm, when I'm like this, I'm just saying, God, I praise you. Isn't this crazy? I'm lifting you. Sometimes when I'm like you know, this, there, I'm like, God, I need you. The scriptures are even better you, than this. God. But, but there is something like too. Sometimes Cast like all this. your God, burdens on the Lord and he and will give you the desires of your heart. But what about the way that you're holding your hands yeah. when you do that? You know. Have you ever heard of Tim Hawkins? No. You've never heard of Tim Hawkins? No. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so Tim Hawkins is a comedian who goes to churches, and he knows the church 
routine well and that's what makes it so funny because yeah. he's a you know very clean guy but uh kind of coarse a little bit for even the christian audience he can get into tr- trouble f- from time to time anyway he does this great routine about how he goes to a church that they lift their hands and what he does is he said listen if you're not familiar with how you do w- with how you do this let, let me just let me just coach you he said most folks begin with their hands in their pockets and they're just they're just flapping their elbows back and forth and uh, then they move to uh, carry the TV that's what he calls it carry the TV <laughs> carry the TV just your hands are down and then it's uh, move to the widescreen carry the widescreen then it's uh, my fish was this big my fish was this big some you know and he's like uh, you know sometimes it depends uh, it can be this big or it can be this big right then it's like uh, he puts his hands like this and he's uh, changing the changing light bulb the light bulbs. yeah yep. light bulb light bulb light bulb uh, and then it's something like uh, touchdown touchdown rocky something else <laughs> and it's hilarious right uh-huh. because uh, he's giving names to what all these various folks who are very expressive in worship do he is so insensitive doesn't he know that they are all simply giving access to god in all of these areas of his life the the, the hands up it is always this conscious it, this is yours lord take it i'm surrendering yeah but even the hands up right these are all learned behaviors. When you see the people on the stage who are doing this, oh, he talks about wash the windows. Wash the windows. That's the hand back and forth. When somebody sees that, they don't even realize that, oh, they're really worshiping God. I want to worship God, so I'll do the same thing. And the way that I worship God is wash the windows too. Mm-hmm. It is a learned behavior. Absolutely. Get I mean, to the gospel. Where's the gospel? This guy went there, okay? He went there with his hands, and he's basically telling his people, like, before I get up to preach, and if I got my hands like this, um, this is what it means, and if I got my hands like this, this is what it means. It's really, really um, sad, if you ask me. I don't really care what's going on on the stage. It's me and God. It's an audience of one, and I'm chasing the Lord, and I want you to do that as well. When you come oh, into see, this that's place what's damning. and worship is going on, I want you to know. That's what's damning right there. He's saying, I'm chasing the Lord, and I want you to do the same. Lutherans have a complete, they would never use this language. I'm chasing God. Is God running away? He is. He is and, and get this, he's always faster than you, and you can never keep up. And you'll spend your life chasing after him, and you'll never catch him. And that is damning. It is not Christ comes to you. It is you better get up, you better lace up your shoes, and you better run. That right there is the difference between the evangelical and the Lutheran. Christ comes to you, which is such a relief because I cannot outrun this God. No. And the thing is, the, the situation is, the reverse, we are sprinting away, and even there, we can't outrun him. Amen. Well, this episode of the Pluck Chicken Podcast is brought to you by Wittenberg Digital. Wittenberg Digital provides website construction, website hosting, and podcast hosting for the confessional community. 
with websites that are easy to put together, easy to use and manage content, and that provide high availability of that content to your users without the need and the oversight of big tech. Several big tech companies have removed religious content from their platforms and servers and continues to push that agenda. Wittenberg Digital was built by liturgical and confessional nerds dedicated to keeping the digital face of Lutheranism alive as long as possible. So if you're interested in doing something with your website, I encourage you to check out Wittenberg Digital at wittenbergdigital.com where they are keeping the Lutheran voice online. And worship is going on. I want you to know that's an opportunity for an invitation. There's an invitation from the Lord that says, I want to heal you. I want to touch you. I want to resurrect that area of you. But you better keep up. I want to come into that spot that you've said, you can have all of this stuff, but you ain't touching this. Would you trust me with this? And this is what can happen in worship. This is the power of worship. I want a worshiping church. I want a church where worship spreads from the front all the way to the back. And the reason is, is because you need worship. What I'm saying is, is you need a touch from God. And when worship is going on, those of you that are new to this and you're like, "Um, I haven't been in church a long time. I haven't been to a church that worships like this. Maybe it's just been hymns and you just kind of stare and you just don't want to be there. I I just want to. Oh, no. Hymns. Meanwhile, I'm sure Thrive, Revive, Strive, all these other churches are worshiping the exact same way. It's all them. Yeah, it's one direction. Yes. It's, it's their passion. It's their devotion. It's not God to them. It is just them to God. Right. So this whole idea of worship is this invitation to say, God, I need you in every single area of my life. Here's the, here's the point is we want to give God access to it all. Worship is one of those things that says, God, I give you all of it. I love you with all, everything in my life. Let's keep going. Philippians chapter three, um, Paul, he's writing to a church in Philippi and he's in a, a prison in Rome and he gives a list of all these accomplishments in his life and um, religious accomplishments. And watch what he says in verse seven. He says, I once thought these things, these accomplishments were valuable But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. He's saying there was a time that I had some things above the Lord. It says, I once considered these things as valuable. I once had some things above the Lord. See, if we're, gonna, if we're gonna defeat the rival of your spiritual walk with the Lord, then we, number two, have to place him above it all. Place him above it all. Pastor Boyle, you look like uh, you've been sent to time out and you're sitting in your room waiting patiently uh, to be let let out of this purgatory. I am long suffering. <laughs> this, this is terrible. So he has now left us needing to give our all. Yeah. And we're not. No. 
So what? Right. We're all damned at this point. Okay. Let's, so let's en- get undamned. Enjoy your damnation. It would be crazy to think if I said, Hannah, just want you to know I love you. You're the most important thing in my life. But in my office, I had pictures, big poster-sized pictures of ex-girlfriends on the wall. And, or, or like, you know, ex-girlfriends or different things. And um, Hannah would not come into my office and say, oh, Jacob, you know what? Those are your walls. You guys know Hannah, right? Hello? <laughs> yes, they know Hannah because Hannah, as I said, she always has a cameo uh, at every sermon at Thrive Church. Actually, not too terribly long ago, uh, Hannah was actually preaching. And I just wanted you to hear what she said about her husband. I remember getting home with her and being like, okay, the hospital knows that we don't know what we're doing, right? Like, I'm so glad we get to take her home, but where's the manual? Like, I remember people be like, how long do you want to stay in the hospital? I'm like, as long as they will let me stay in the hospital. I need help. Mama don't know what she's doing. So we got a couple of picture here, some pictures here. And I remember we brought the first one. Just leave it here. We, look at you, babe. You look luscious with all that hair and those eyebrows. Oh, ow! I'm going to let you know a little pet name for my man. He's got Sicilian in his blood. I call him my Sicilian bebe. That's what I see right there. You're my Sicilian bebe. I, I don't like her any better. I can't understand how people listen to this. I, I seriously can't. It, it, dry, it makes my spine curl. My hair stands up. It's, it is so bad. The, the whole language, the rhetoric. I, I just can't handle the rhetoric. Thousands upon thousands of people listen to sermons and attend churches with pastors just like this. What are you talking about? But, but thanks be to God. Again, let's, let's look at facts. Thousands upon thousands come in these doors. They listen to this. Yeah. They where, celebrate it. Where are the facts that say how many stay? It's it again. It, we were talking off off air about economics and that sort of thing. Uh, we we treat this almost like and and some some would even say we we covet. What what are the evangelicals doing? Because look, they've got all these people coming in the doors, and and we want to we want the numbers. We want right. to have that class of right. people come in and that sort right. of thing. And and we think of it as like this evangelical or non denominational block or something, as if they're a monolithic thing. The facts are otherwise. The number of people that actually stay in these doors is constantly changing. It is new people coming in. What's the new thing at Thrive? Let's go to the Revive. Let's go to wherever it is and and, and see what they're doing. And Oh, this worship is so much better and so forth. But, but then you make it, who knows, a year? And you're like, man, it's the same stories about a stupid Camaro. Let's, let's go to the other church. Let's go to something else. And then, God willing, someone like you, has someone hit them over the head with a light bulb of what is actually substantial, true, real, lasting. And then you stay. But our Lord wasn't kidding when he said, narrow is the way. So maybe we should consider the fact that there are thousands of people that are listening to this sort of thing, but 
they're certainly not going to be fed by it. Would you say as well that that is the broad way that leads to destruction? Sure. I mean, it's it's simply tickling fancies and that sort of thing, rather than giving us anything of depth to actually hear, sink our teeth in, rejoice, chew. We need the word. She would not be like, um, they're your walls. You know, like, you can do whatever you want in your wall. I mean, that, that's just kind of, you can do whatever you want. Like, no, she would walk into, <laughs> could you imagine this? <laughs> She would walk into the office, stand there for one second. She would probably scream, and she would take all of them immediately, break them, and put them in the dumpster and say, we need to talk. <laughs> but there's, there's no way Hannah would do that. I mean, I said, Hannah, you're important, and I had all these ex-girlfriends hanging on the wall. There's no way. There's this above all forsaking all others thing that's pretty important. Okay, back to the bookshelf. So here's your life. Now, where is Jesus? Where's Jesus in your life? Okay, we, we, we know we compartmentalize Jesus. There's areas of our life that we kind of tucked him away. You know, he was in this little thing in the box, but now we got Jesus out of the box. It's a good step. But where is he in our life. If people looked at our life, would they have to search for a while and be like, okay, you're about recreation, family, okay, work, these kind of things, cool. Okay, and oh, okay, is that, is that Jesus down there? Like, where, where is Jesus on the shelves of your life? It's, it's um, amazing. The Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, the first two are essentially about the placement of God in your life. The first one is, no gods before me. And the second is no idols above me. No gods before me, no idols above me. Idols, things in your life more important than me. Now, I like the fact that he brought in the commandments to this, even though he's using the more modern numbering of them. But, I mean, we'll give him a pass for that. We can't expect him to, to go back to the old numbering. But, uh, I mean, this is good. He's bringing in God's law. Yeah, and he's exactly right that this is a violation of the first commandment. Listen, let me say this. Where you place God says a lot about your value of God. And so where is Jesus in your life? Another quote by A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God. He says this, come near the holy men and women of the past and you will soon feel the heat of their desire for God. I wonder if somebody looked at the bookshelf of, of your life, where is Jesus located and how prominent is he on the shelves of your life? Damning. Let's, let's kick over the bookshelf and just direct a cross, okay? <laughs> because the, the bookshelf needs to die with everything in it and on it. So big bonfire. Big bonfire. Let there just be the cross of Christ. And sometimes what we do is we place things above Jesus. And listen, all these things are important, and I love all these things, and these things are incredible, but they're just not more important than God. Martin Luther says, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. Yes. yes, he did. Large catechism. Whatever you fear, love, and trust is your God. So here's a question. Is your relationship with God a bottom shelf or a top shelf relationship with God? Is he kind of like God? I, uh, I, maybe for some, it could be like God's in a box. Maybe for some of you, he's out of the box but he's still on the bottom shelf. And I think what God is saying today is he's saying, listen, where you place me in your life matters. 
if we're gonna defeat the rival of our heart and our love for God, to love God with all, where you place God in your life matters. So where is God in your life? I think he belongs on the top shelf. Anybody with me? Hello. He, he should be on the top shelf. Let's put him up here. I think it's a little better. So his whole analogy, image, Shtick. It, it's breaking down because let's say we take him out of the box that's on the bottom shelf. Mm-hmm. We, we dust him off, mm-hmm. put him on the top shelf. Yeah. That's still not my all. That's just the top shelf and maybe a, a portion of it where I've still got all this other stuff. So my all is not there. That's just my top shelf. So maybe maybe he's, he's the one I go to most often, but I, I still have bottom shelf stuff and middle shelf stuff and other things on the top shelf, whatever it is. Maybe he's all the way on the left. I, I don't know. Maybe right in the center. But nonetheless, all means the whole thing. And if he's up on the top shelf, I'm assuming that dust collects on the top shelf just like it does on the bottom shelf, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the idea is, again, I, half joking, but mostly serious, burn the whole thing down. Let, let it all die. That's, that's where St. Paul was going back in Philippians 3. I count it all rubbish. I like the King James dung there. But it's, it's all gone. Every, every last bit of it is gone except him. As you know, Pastor Boyle, when folks come to your church or if they come to the church that I'm serving, when they come to the altar, not only have they had the Word of God read and preached into their ears, but when they come to the altar, they receive the very body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that moment, he is their all. There's nothing else that they're trying to consume. They they don't have a hamburger in their hand. They don't have a taco in their hand. They are only consuming and desiring the body and blood of Christ and everything that comes as a result of that, forgiveness, life, and salvation. In that moment, they are fulfilling exactly what Jesus says. But, as you said earlier, it's Jesus who is the one saying, I'm here, and I'm here for you. Yes. And, and even, even in our baptism, perhaps especially so, even with an infant, let's say, what does our Lord do but let us die and rise? And so St. Paul would say, do you not know that we who have been baptized have died with Christ? And in him we rise again. There is in him our all. Outside of him and apart from him, no matter how much we may try or think we are giving our all, it is, it is never. But it is only in Christ. And so in baptism, he clothes us with Christ. So another way of playing with his imagery rather than just burning down the bookshelf, because I think bookshelves are great, uh, we could clothe it with Christ. The entire thing. That would have been a better analogy for him. So we've only got a few more minutes here with this sermon. Thank God. My, 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 uh, my question to you is, do you think that we're going to hear any gospel? I mean, he's gone at this for quite some time, 
and uh, you've been patient. Uh, actually, you haven't been, but uh, you know, for you know, for our listening audience, we'll just say that you have been. Uh, you think he's going to get to gospel here at all? No, I think where he's going to take us is where he's been with us this whole time, and that is, this is a motivational speech meant to help spur us on to give more, to look for more areas in our life, surrender those, to give God more of us, and he sees this as the means by which we give more. And listen, I mean, I've spent the bulk of my life listening to sermons like this and believing them and pursuing after them. You, on the other hand, uh, you know, had a brief stint of it, so to speak, in your college days. Mm -hmm. But this is something that you would have heard, is it yes, not? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every Everything that we would think of, and, and unfortunately, evangelicals who think they are so anti-Roman Catholic right. and, and right. opposite side of the right. spectrum. Right. They do a works righteousness better than Rome ever right. could. Pastor Bruss said that one time, and that flabbergasted me uh, when he was he said something like, uh, this is so this is so Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. And it took me aback, but he was right. Every Roman Catholic I know, even the priests and the deacons here around town that I've become quite close with, couldn't approach this because everything in their tradition, everything that their liturgy presents, no matter how much they may try to get in the way, they can't undo the cross as much as this is. He's, he's top shelf. You defeat your rival when you place God above all else. Let's keep going. In Psalms 27, David, I want you to look at his love for God in this text. I love reading um, the book of Psalms, and you can almost feel his love for God. Watch this. This is amazing. He says this, one thing, one thing I ask from the Lord. What, what is that one thing? Is it success? One thing I ask for the Lord is success, winning wars, happiness. What is this one thing, David? He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this one thing that I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Again, we're talking about without rival, number one, give him access to it all, place him above it all. And number three is pursue him more than all. Those and aren't so, three separate things. A, a good That's the same is, thing. What are you coming in? He's, he's listed this out as if that was his sermon outline, like these are the three things we're doing. Right. It's all the same. Now, this this guy has, has laid out his three-part sermon or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, little mini-sermon in a sermon. But it's all we need to pursue, love, desire, have no other thing, make God top shelf, all of that. There's, there's no third thing. It's all one, and it's you striving towards God. A good question is, is what do you pursue most on the shelves of your life? And I, what I want is that we are, we are pursuing the Lord so much that it's almost like we're wearing out Bibles. I remember this one. I want to say that my mom must have got me this Bible a long time ago. And this is in 1996 right here. And this Bible has been terrorized. And uh, so this one was like, 
um, something that I, I read a bunch when I was younger right here. But if you look at it, it's just totally demoralized. It's like been um, chewed apart and it's all broken apart. And I actually had to go digging to find this. There's actually another Bible, a purple Bible, that's just... As yeah, I don't have a problem with that, right? I mean, good. He's got a Bible that, that he reads and reads often. Wonderful. I wish you would understand it. The Bible is we underline this thing. We're like writing things down. We're putting sticky notes all in this thing. I want, I mean, the word of God is not just something to where it's just like a historical book that you're just supposed to just know things about. This is like your daily food that you need to devour. And so if we're going to defeat the rival of our walk with the Lord, then it really matters how we're pursuing the Lord. I pray that Thrive Church is filled with people that are wearing Bibles out. Like you trash your Bibles so much, you have to get another Bible and another Bible and you just got stacks of Bibles. Some of you guys are like, is it sacrilegious to write in your Bible? No, it's okay. God, if you write a little note, you underline something, you're fine. Okay. But I want us to pursue the Lord with, with, with everything. Lance Witt in chapter 16 of Your One Life, he has um, this chapter called The Art of Hanging Out. And he talks about a couple things. I'll just say real quick and, and we'll close is number one is to create space for God, to set time aside consistently. This idea of unhurried time with the Lord. You know, when you go on, on a date with, um, if you're married with your spouse or you know, if you're not married with somebody else, you go on a date, what you're doing is you're creating space for the relationship. And what we need to do is we need to go on daily dates with the Lord. Hello, you hear what I'm saying? Like time set aside for the relationship, create space for the Lord. And number two is to engage scripture relationally. So again, the, the Bible isn't something just to know historically, but it's a love letter from God to you. It's alive. And so let's not read this thing for just for knowledge or um, application, which is great. Some of us read it for obligation. Um, but what, what we need to do is we need to read this thing for our relationship. And this is something I ask all the time, God, what do you want to say to me today? And what I'm doing is I'm, I'm trying to engage the scripture from a relational place. It's not just that I'm opening the word of God and say, and just saying, okay, pastor says I'm supposed to read my Bible. We'll see what happens. But you're saying, God, I want to meet with you. Mm. I want to spend time with you. Mm. Can I you feel it, you Pastor Boyle? I mean, it's really so coming in strong. Oh, yeah. I feel it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the scripture relationally. I mean, he's not wrong so here. This so this is this rival, is good in as far as, yes, we do want to read our scriptures as though God is, in fact, speaking to us. Sure. Yes, to do so, we need to form a habit. And, and habit formation takes a time and a place. Yeah. And so when when we teach our members and that the life of a daily devotion to our Lord is of receiving from Him and, and knowing our own schedules and our own busyness and our own hurriedness and our own idolatry throughout, it does take work. And just as dating, marriage takes work. And, and it is love that takes work. On the other hand, uh, the entire scriptural message is that he comes to us, that he forgives our sin, and that our rival, if we want to defeat our rival, as, as he's setting this all up, we need to understand 
who the true victor is, and it is Christ for us. And it is only in him that we have these daily wars, battles, and victories over sin, death, and the devil. But it is not by our conquering or our victory, it is that which is found in Christ. So the last time I was here, I was talking to you and Pastor Lovett about your daily matins reading. And I love that because in the evangelical world, uh, you're really pushed upon this idea of individual devotions, which is great. I'm not knocking that. Praise be to God if you could get into that habit. And I highly encourage that. What you encourage is a difference from this individual reading. And no, come to church and we will read the scriptures together in, I hate to say it like this, but in the community of the church. It's selected texts that we read together, we pray together, and I don't know, how long does it last? 25 minutes? I mean, 30 minutes tops, yeah. Yeah. So I love that, the fact that you both provide that. And, you know, you're not the only kids on the block who are doing that. But unfortunately, it's few and far between. Uh, Whether they do it every day or whether they do it a couple days out of the week, that is beautiful because that, it's like the, you know, in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the uh, the communion, uh, the of, communion saints. of the saints, you know. It's this whole truth of us gathering together uh, as a body of believers and really like, um, you know, we're like little birds coming together in the morning to uh, feed off of God's Word. Yes, and it's exactly opposite of what this preacher was doing because even there when he's talking when he was getting into the whole thing about worship and the feeling that he gets of God coming to him and worship he even there in the midst of this communal gathering speaks of himself as an individual with God it's just a one-on-one thing and I think this is a symptom of our cultural malaise and also destruction which is to see each uh well, to see the individualism shine through. And one of the things that this Daily Matins is doing is to say that we are not and are never alone. That there is this community of Christians gathered as the body of Christ into Christ to hear his word, to call upon him, to pray praise, and to give thanks. This communion of saints that does take place daily. And the other thing for people to know is Perhaps you know your schedule is such that you can't be at matins. The church is at prayer for you and with you. And I agree. Daily scripture reading individually at home, that's great. I mean, if you've got a family, sit around maybe before bedtime with your kids and, and pray with them, read scripture together, sing a hymn together, even though this preacher doesn't like those. But uh, have this formation of the faith that is handed down. And I think the more we have this receptive spirituality, receiving from God through his word, gathered especially in the church to receive the body and the blood of Jesus, the preaching of the gospel, that it is God that comes to us, not only the more will he, through his spirit, change our hearts, and our desires and our wants oriented towards him, 
but he continues to defeat our rivals. Amen. Pastor Boyle, I already have seen what you've done here in the last few minutes. You've untucked your clerical, you've uh, ripped off your clerical collar. You were so angered and bothered by this sermon, but he's only got just a few minutes left, so hang in there. Oh, I thought we were done. Well, you might not want to say amen when I say this, but, um, but out of the last 17 years, Ohio State has beat Michigan 15 times. Ugh. 15 of 17. That's not much of a rivalry. Except... You know what? My father-in-law is also an Ohio State fan, so I love him for 364 days of the year. But, but I love you too. <laughs> but... But it hasn't been much of a rivalry lately. Although this year, Michigan beat Ohio State. I just gotta say it. <laughs> I just gotta say it, that felt good. Okay, Lord, forgive me. Lord, would you forgive me? Okay, I feel bad right now. Okay, um, um, but but some of you, uh, let's the, plan this The play. keyboardist is like, I, I know, come on, guys. I know, be serious, right? And, um, it's like he knows that he's treading on bad things because he's supposed to be serious right now. Doesn't he hear the music? In your life, when it comes to the rivalry of your love for God, do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, no. all of your heart? No. Are, are we are we loving God with all? We're going to rack no. up so many victories that it's not much of a competition anymore. Amen, somebody? Come on. No, I cannot amen I want that. You to bow your head and close your eyes. Oh, good grief. We're not going to let him pray. Thank I mean, you. we're not going to let him pray. <laughs> this God that he is praying to is a God I don't want anything to do with. Yeah, he's, he's a God apart, a God that uh, we cannot reach will not reach but thank god our god does come to us amen well unfortunately pastor lovett didn't make it he didn't and uh we just blew through this quite quickly my guess is quickly you don't think this is quick i thought we did pretty good for especially for the plucked chicken i think our listeners are going to look at this and go an hour and a half are you kidding this is like the shortest one ever usually we're like joe rogan we go like three four hours easy but i love talking about stuff like this and i love talking about it with you so pastor boyle thank you so much for uh meeting me and uh, allowing me to come down here in the uh the mystery machine and uh, to travel and to be with you. And uh, hopefully we'll get Pastor Lovett on the flip side, but if not, doesn't really matter. Listen, if you haven't connected to a liturgical, confessional Lutheran church in your area, please do so, so that you will hear messages that are both law and gospel. And I guarantee you, they are only about what, Pastor Boyle, about 12 minutes long, something like that? If you're lucky. Oh, my. Might, might be 10. 10 minutes. Uh, when it comes down to it, the scriptures have done their work. Amen. And we just deliver Jesus. Amen. Thank you very much for listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors Devin Kearns and John Bross. If you'd like to support the work they do, Go to their Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the plucked chicken.
man. <laughs> um, that was painful. How, how does someone miss the point so easily laid out? 